Welcome to Eden Exchanges. In this episode, Glenn Hawkin from TouchUp Guys talked about the evolution of their franchise system, their successes and their current opportunities in the car detailing industry. So welcome everyone and thanks for joining us. Today we're joined by Glenn Hawkin, who's the CEO of the TouchUp Guys. Look, thanks a lot for joining us today, Glenn. Yeah, thanks for having me. Look, firstly, can you give us a bit of an outline about what TouchUp Guys does? How did the company come about and how's it grown over the years? Okay, so TouchUp Guys primarily does a, uh, a time-convenient mobile solution for cosmetic collision repair. Sounds very technical, but in a short version, we, we do mobile paint and bumper repairs is probably the easiest way to describe it. So primarily, we, we, we tackle a, uh, an audience if you like, who, who's in need of a minor repair that's normally underneath their insurance excess. So we, we've sort of grown, I, I guess, since, um, since 1991. I actually, when I was finishing high school in, uh, in the end of 1990, my father uh, bought, uh, saw a little ad in the paper. Uh, he'd just come out of an industry very foreign to this one and saw a little ad in the paper saying, you know, make $2,000 a week. Uh, fixing cars and, and he was intrigued by what that actually meant so he rang up and found out and, and we eventually over that next couple of months uh, leading up to purchasing a, a franchise ourselves so dad and mum invested in a, uh, a franchise system which at the time was was uh, primarily focused on, on the colour part of, of the painting side of, of the repairs. Uh, and it had a sister franchise that, that it had, which dealt with the, the bumper or more importantly, the plastic repair. So, um, so we started actually, I, I, I'd finished high school and was scheduled to go off to university over that Christmas break or at the, at the end of that Christmas break. And in the meantime, I, I actually started the training with dad, um, not being an overly hands-on person myself, uh, which is very different to, to how dad was uh, was brought up and he's a very hands-on guy um, we ended up going to the training together but I, I realized that I wasn't going to be <laughs> kind of the uh, the talent in that area so I, I committed to still going off to university but over that next uh, few months um, after the business had started it became evident quite quickly that that franchise all wasn't uh, kind of telling the truth if you like in a variety of ways and and they eventually ended up folding and, and having a lot of people lose lose their money. And uh, eventually they went to jail for, for some, a variety of reasons. So <clears throat> at that time, Dad actually knew uh, the other fellow who was doing the plastic repair in, in the same area here on, on the Gold Coast. And uh, they decided to uh, teach each other the painting and, and the plastic side. And, and Touch Up Guys was sort of born out of that uh, that failure of the other franchise system. So I think from that point of view, you know, with Dad and his partner at the time, Boyd, having been previous franchisees <clears throat> and understanding what shortfalls there were in being from that perspective, they they really felt like eventually they they wanted to, well, to be honest, they, they'd re never really envisaged being a franchisor. I think that whole concept was very foreign because when they'd started working together and rebadged it as touch-up guys, they'd only really envisaged themselves running a two-van two operation here on the Gold Coast. It wasn't until sort of a family friend came up and sort of looked at the business and said to Dad, can you teach me how to do that? And then we, we sort of started to expand. And, and even at that point, it wasn't really a franchise system. So it kind of became self-evident when 
they had probably five vans out on the road around different locations uh, in Brisbane and, and even in Rockhampton. But these guys were starting to ring Dad and Boyd all of the time to ask them, what do you do here or how do you fix this? Or So I think it, it sort of, they, they realised that there was a need in the marketplace and primarily at that stage, certainly probably through the first decade, our primary market was working for the motor dealers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best, best kept secret hidden behind the fence. So when you came up to buy a used car, you didn't realise yesterday it sort of had half the bumper hanging off and was covered in stone chips and things like that. Um, so our, our brand recognition certainly in that time was really kept literally behind the fence. Um, so I think that, that eventually it got to a stage where, um, you know, mum and dad and Boyd decided that they would, would sell their, their local uh, business here on the Gold Coast um, and then go on this whirlwind adventure that is franchising. So it... Um, Probably for those next few years, they they learnt what franchising franchising was, uh, and then they started to really grow uh, the business through the franchising expo model, which uh, they were sort of doing seven franchise expos a year for a few years, and and we really grew on the back of a lot of uh, white collar redundancies through that period, where where car nuts, I guess for a better choice of words, passionate car people, uh, sort of come out. Yeah, enthusiasts, there you go. Um, so they'd, they'd sort of come out of either being made redundant or, or whatever. I mean, interest rates were high, but equity was there in people's homes. So they, they sort of saw us at a, a franchise expo and, 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 and said, wow, I never knew a service like this existed, let alone a business. That, that really sounds like me, tell me more. So I think that, that sort of um, started the process and, and, and we grew quite well. And at that point, you know, we, we were certainly welcomed with open arms at, at the dealerships, uh, at the car yards to come in because they, they sort of only had the body shop at that point in time. We, we were sort of the pioneers, if you like, in the, um, in the, in the mobile space. And uh, so that was, that was definitely great through that period. Um, and then, then I think we, we've certainly evolved probably in the, in the early 2000s to really probably expand outwards to, to really tackling the retail market. And that, that's really what I mentioned before about, um, you know, your customer uh, wanting a time convenient solution, not losing their cars for days to, to a body shop. Um, even if they do get an exchange vehicle, you know, people people driving other people's cars don't always like that and, you know, moving moving your car seats and, and kids and all that sort of stuff. So I think the, the fact of us being able to service people at, at their convenience and their location is, is been a huge factor for us. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're sort of um, de- definitely grown a lot over 26 years, that, that, that's for sure. Well, was, was there a bit of a, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, I mean, a, a thought process for, for getting um, these mobile vans out to the to the dealers, was there w- w- did they have to be convinced, or, or was it just an easy sell? Because it was, I mean, your business was ahead of its time, um, it, you know, in providing that sort of service. Most definitely, I think we were we were certainly, well, obviously as I, as I shared the story before, but the service was very new to Australia. It had started in in the Europe and and uh, and the US, I should say, and. Um, but, but in terms of the, the dealers, for sure, you know, and, and we still work, uh, you know, many, many of our franchisees have great relationships with, with dealer networks and they, they do still value our services highly. 
Um, I think the the advantage of, of a dealer is is to make sure that, you know, particularly when you, when you deal with the smaller dealerships or smaller car yards, um, their ability <clears throat> to sell a car is dictated by that car being available on the lot all of the time. You know, so if you get a person coming in and wanting to see what's available, you know, if you, if you've got cars missing for for days on end, they, they've definitely got. A disadvantage there so ha- having ourselves there and at least be able to fix up the minor stuff within a few hours and have it back out the front ma- made a huge impact difference in that regard I mean, certainly when we deal with sorry work with dealerships there, there's probably four different components to a dealership depending on its size that we can work for uh, certainly we started with with the the used car uh, reconditioning manager so that they'd buy you know they'd either get trade-ins or they'd be buying vehicles uh, that had damage on them, and we'd be able to repair those to, to then get uh, ready for sale. Then extended to working for uh, the the new car market because there is quite a lot of damage that does occur on on vehicles, particularly around transportation and, and getting them onto the lot. Uh, and that can also be when they're adding on additional features to the vehicle, um, whether it be you know scratching you know the the rear. Um, the boot lid or whatever if they're putting a spoiler on or you know putting a special style of mag wheel on on the cars or whatever it might be um but particularly getting them on and off the truck is probably the main uh, the main challenge there so we we did expand to working for new vehicle departments then on top of that we we certainly um made ourselves available and, and worked closely with the service departments uh and that by way of either you know the the when they're servicing a vehicle and this is obviously starting to be mid, mid and large size dealerships. So when they're servicing a client's vehicles, accidents can happen from their operators, but also some of the dealers uh, on top of that would either upsell our services. So we would work for the dealer and, and do that work while the car was in being serviced. Um, or, or in fact, they, they might even structure a referral arrangement with us. So thereby, you know, we would actually go and, and work on that vehicle uh, at the customer's home. And but but with the blessing of the dealership as a, as a customer service value-add for, for their clients. So I think there, there's <clears throat> multiple ways, I guess, at the end of the day of, of having that relationship with a dealership, yeah. and uh, they, they do see advantage in, in creating a great customer experience, you know, irrespective of what avenue that is. Yeah, and where do you get most of your, your demand from now? I mean, that's one part of the question. The other part is, look, when we first started working with touch up guys, I, like I did immediately think it was a new concept as well. Sure. But as you delve further into it, you know, you realize how long it's actually been there. It, does, does that come up quite a bit in terms of the the idea that this is a new concept versus look? It the is a, uh, a well well thought out, you know, established service. It, it is a um, it, it, it's a pain point and an opportunity all rolled into one. You know, you if you did something for for 25 years as we've been doing 26 years and um so really for the first you know decade and and continuing still we we are still hidden hidden behind the fence as i as i referred to it before um having said that though you know when when you do hear franchisee relay a customer's comment or, or we experience that ourselves hey i never knew this existed wow this is a great idea they, 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 how long has this been around? Those types of comments, you know, franchisees in one sense and myself included, are kind of thinking, well, you know, we, we've been promoting ourselves for at least 
heavily for the last 15 years. You know, everybody should know us in Australia, but the reality is, you know, everybody's needs haven't been there all of the time on those occasions. Um, so I think in, in one sense, you, you kind of feel a little bit, you know, defeated. <laughs> you know, well, what else do we have to do? Um, but then on the other side, what, what a great opportunity, the fact that there is still so many people out there that don't know this style exists, you know. So if they've got, they've got some damage on their car, their only port of call at the moment is, is either not getting it done or, or, or more traditionally taking it to a body shop. So I think that, you know, we, we remind ourselves that, you know, over these 20 odd years, we, we have done well over 2 million repairs. But at the same time, as our tagline some, sometimes is quoted that we've only just scratched the surface. So, <clears throat> and I actually do believe that, you know, we, we, we've got such a lot of, um, we, we've got such a, a, a wide range of lifetime customers and, and that's certainly one thing that we, we really try and remind our franchisees and ourselves of is that every time we're handling, you know, a, a customer that hasn't heard of us before being, being a first time, uh, we, we try and remind ourselves that this could be a, a, a lifelong customer of ours and also then inviting in their, their trusted you know, sources as well, family, friends, um, to, to be able to become part of that relationship. So very important that we, we sort of really acknowledge that in, in, in every, every customer experience at the end of the day. So. Yeah, great. And the other thing also is, I mean, over that journey, have you learned any lessons about building a, a solid franchise brand in the market um, and how's that translating into some of the touch-up guys goals for 2017-18? Look, it, there, there is without a doubt um, you know, a, a lot of lessons that you do learn and, and when you look at any <clears throat> business in totality, um, the fundamentals of business don't, don't change vastly. I mean, the core fundamentals of business, you know, you've got financial management, you've got marketing, you've got people, you've got operations, you know, and overlaying all of that is, is really a strategy. I, I think in essence, the strategy component changes from time to time as markets change or, or you, you, can, you can get internal aspects of a business change, you can then get external aspects of a business change. I mean, we've had, you know, we, we've had people where, where life's got in the way for negative reasons, and that might be you know, health issues or, or it might be personal issues or, you know, that, those style of things that, that human nature provides for us sometimes. Uh, and then you do get these impacts of external, you know, whether it be governments changing laws or whether it be, you know, paint suppliers or partners, you know, changing their tack and you've got to decide very quickly to change tack with them or, or change to a new direction. So I think the, the other part is really acknowledging that that markets and technology is, is a big factor in, in how we go about, um, you know, servicing the customer in, 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 the, in the customer's preference. You know, we, we've got a whole generation now that we deal with where, you know, they, the, the customers don't want to, to, to be spoken to on the phone. And, and as foreign as that sounds to, to probably most people, <laughs> including myself, um, you know, people are, are, are messaging people through social media and they want a response through, through that same medium. So eventually, obviously, they've got to get face-to-face to fix their car at some point, but their, their communication preferences are vastly different when, you know, they, they were in nappies when we first started, but now they're, they're, they're basically being bought, born with a smartphone in their hand and that's, that's a, a dominant feature of the way they like to communicate. So 
I think the lessons learnt is listen to the market. You know, when the market is moving, you either you have a choice. You know, you either move with it or, or you don't. I think the challenges, you know, certainly in, in, in dealing with government as well, you know, the, the reality is, in, in my opinion, government is made up by people and, and you have to be uh, very proactive in working with governments to make sure that your, your presence and, and, and your place in an industry is not forgotten. And, and we, we've had some great success, I guess, over the years in, in dealing with some adverse decisions. <clears throat> you know, we work very hard with the New South Wales government over the last few years to, to re, re, rework some of the legislation they put in there in, in, in trying to get rid of um, negative aspects of, of the automotive services repair industry. And, and we work closely with them. It took us a couple of years to make sure that our place was held in that industry, but we had really good success there and, and actually got thanked by the government for, for pursuing that on, on behalf of our, ourselves and, and other people in our similar position. So I, I think there's definitely, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's probably a, a couple of volume book, to be honest, on the lessons that could be learned about, about growing a business over that time frame. Uh, I think the other lessons for, for myself is how, how to handle working you know effectively with family you know and being a family business and dad starting it he, he certainly had some very clear um, cultural aspects and, and, and customer service um, you know views on, on how things should be done and, and that certainly has translated you know to to more of a family culture within the organization um, but now starting to step into you know, growing the business to to regions where and levels where you do need outside expertise, both at a management level and a board level. You know, you've got to start to uh, keep some of that family values, but expand the thought processes on how to how to deal with people other than uh, other than your family members. So that that's been a bit of a journey as well, which has has come out really well. I mean, it's kept us fairly closely knit over the time and you have some colourful debates with your family at, at times when you're, and you're always told never to, uh, to speak about business when you're, when you're at the Christmas table. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it, it's a good balancing act and you always know that the, those people are there to, uh, the, the loyalty is something you, you really can't buy. So pro- probably leading on to your, your second part of that question was, you know, where has that led us to the next stage, you know, for, for the next... 12 months and beyond. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we've really learned in, in probably the last few years is the, the automotive uh, repair industry in, in Australia, particularly on, on, the, on the spray painting and panel beating side, that industry has gone through a, a mass change, a mass consolidation. Uh, you, you've got sort of the insurance companies playing a larger role in the repair networks, and, and that's always, <clears throat> it's always been something that, that has been... Um, fraught with danger in terms of people's fear factors of, of you know, insurance companies becoming repairers and how, how that would play out. And, and there has been a lot of um, people from the body shop industry, smaller businesses sort of take leave of, of the industry. And, and, and that certainly um, has created some uncertainty, I guess, at some levels. I mean, for ourselves, that, that's been a real boost, I guess, at the end of the day that, that we're not directly you know, in that industry, even though we're, we're sort of part of it, we, we deal with the cosmetic collision repair side and, and therefore don't have as much, you know, involvement with the insurance companies directly. Um, but ourselves, you know, we, we've really identified that we, we would like to go after a broader market again, just as we evolve from 
working probably exclusively for the motor dealers and then expanding to the retail market, our, our new goal is really to work uh, what, what I've termed really broadly as relationship marketing and, and relationships with uh, what, what we term internally as affiliates and, and corporate partners. Um, and that really evolves with uh, probably the best example is, is more recently our uh, for formulation of a, of a partnership agreement with the Super Cheap Auto Group. Uh, we've been working with those guys for probably 18 months on developing a, a relationship and then formalizing that as a, as a five-year agreement with those guys to uh, help educate some of, well, help educate um, the salespeople in their stores how to go about providing uh, our services by way of estimate and then, then relaying those, uh, those client details to ourselves to, to take over and, and process the needs and, and they're a very large group. They, they've got just over two million people in their uh, in their club membership, and, and they're a very proud Australian company. And, and obviously, been around for a long period of time. And, and they they see the ability to provide additional services and not just products. I mean, they're very exceptionally good at what they do marketing wise and, and with the products that they do sell. Uh, but expanding again, they recognise their customers are in need of not only what they can provide at, at a product level, but also services on top of that. So, um, so I think yeah, as we sort of grow, uh, you know, the, the systems to support that uh, arrangement, we're certainly looking at expanding, utilising those systems to work with other affiliates and, and corporate clients. Uh, certainly, there's there's a, a lot of um, corporates out there that have massive fleets of vehicles and, and, and they they suffer again from perhaps some naivety there of, of that there are some time convenient you know repairs to be done there that may not be traditionally what what the previous fleet manager or the previous procurement manager may have, have done or, or their traditional means of getting those repairs um, and I think there's, there's certainly aspects where you get very large organizations that are very brand conscious and they want their vehicles to be representative of that brand. So there, there's work there to be done throughout the cycle of, of those vehicles, as well as at the end of the lease term. You know, I think that's probably the other thing we're really honing in on is to, is to work with clients about how they can um, get, get the best out of that, that end of lease term uh, process as well. Is that, um, Glenn, is, that, is, that, is that part of the franchisee's responsibility to grow those relationships and even, um, uh, I guess actually find where those relationships can be nurtured? Look, at, at the end of the day, there, there is an element of, of responsibility on both parties. You know, I think um, you know, any great franchise system is, is not an adversary system. We're, we're not at odds with our franchisees, if you know what I mean. So <clears throat> I think from our point of view, what, what we've tried to do there is to work and, and gain uh, the knowledge, I guess, of the franchisees of who they work for at a branch level, you know, so their their ability to work for a um, you know a, a fleet with you know a thousand vehicles around the country is not going to happen, but it may well work at a local level with one branch of, of that organisation. So, <clears throat> working with those guys and being aware of who these relationships they have at the local level, it, it, it's again from their perspective, it's a leverage point to for us to go to the national level of that organization and then and then formalize an agreement with, with them at that level. So therefore, neighboring franchisees and franchisees around the country get the benefit of that. For the local franchisee as well, you know, we, we do shore up 
uh, intrinsically a, a cementing, if you like, of, of some of their business value. You know, when, when you do deal with, with a lot of clients in, in the retail market space, you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of clients which are individual transactions. And even though, yes, I can prove that there's some repeat and referral work there, and yes, I'll, I've accumulated these names into a database that can be marketed back to, um, inherently there, there's not a signature on, on a contract for, for that style of work. So I think having you know the ability to, as an organisation that, that's 100 wide to go at a national approach and go and speak to these, cu- speak to these customers uh, the, these corporate clients does provide, you know, a, a benefit to the franchisees on, on their business value as well as being able to tap into something they couldn't do as an individual. Yeah, and in terms of that, you mentioned like the dual responsibilities of the franchisee, franchisor. Sure. From that end, like, from in your opinion, who makes for a great touch-up guy's franchisee? Are they from certain backgrounds or have certain values or... Uh, are they from a diverse group, or do they have to be car nuts, as you said, or or is any anything else you can um, elaborate on there for your, your perfect match? Sure. Uh, look, look, the the car nut side, or at least the passion for cars, seems to be uh, quite common amongst, say, ninety percent of them. Uh, yeah. Probably the other ten percent have a passion for money, you know, and and they're not shy in sort of saying that. So. Uh, I think from those two factors, and, and, and I like the passion for car guys because they are exactly that, you know, and, and when, you, when you start out in a franchise, uh, as you would in any franchise system, um, you have that, that, you know, when you buy a new car, you have that new car smell and you're in love with the car and you've got rose-coloured glasses on. It's very similar in, in a franchise circumstance where everything is new and, and a lot of these guys... Uh, guys and, and ladies uh, are coming into a business for the first time and that's atypical of, of a franchisee is they've, they've chosen franchising as a totality uh, because they're, they're wanting to, to go after this business ownership mentality uh, and desire for, for being their own boss but at the same time they, they, they are frightened of stepping away from, from the paycheck to then having to generate their own so the framework of a franchise is very Important. That's why franchising, I guess, as a as a total, is is uh, very successful. Being part of a group and a support network is is vastly different to to sort of throwing some paints in the back of a van and, and traveling around thinking I'm gonna gonna make a great uh, business owner here. So, I think from that point of view, there, there's there's certain elements there. Coming back to your question, what what makes a great one? I think there there's I mean, there's there's a no no distinctive difference between somebody who's had industry experience and somebody who hasn't had industry experience. Uh, I think attitude overall is is probably paramount above all things. Uh, positive attitude, a self determination, uh, ability to to listen first and, and and answer second, so that they're you know even if they're an experienced spray painter, I've I've had many experienced spray painters come through. Um, the ones that really shine are the ones that sort of say, hey, pretend I don't know anything and let's start with your method first, as in, see, that's what they're saying to us. So um, I think every person that does come through the system, though, um, we, we don't sort of want them to forget their, their lifelong experience to date. It's a matter of taking everything they know about, whether they've worked for themselves before or whether they've worked for other people, 
Um, but bringing all of that that experience and combining it with the system that we've created here to make the best of that. Uh, ultimately, these guys aren't robots out there. That they are people, you know, and and they are business owners. You know, I say to the people, you know, when when they're first looking at a franchise, I say say at the end of the day, you know, you, you're not a car, you're not a, a car repair or a car painter who happens to own a business in their spare time. You're a business owner who happens to have this this touch-up guy's skill set as, as your commodity. And there's a very different mindset in, in, in knowing that. So um, so I think from coming back to sort of fundamentals of what makes a great franchisee, um, the diverse background, I mean, it, it, it can be as wide as we, we've had some exceptionally good franchisees that, for example, who have been chefs. And I know that sounds strange that, that you sort of associate a chef with a uh, touch-up guy, but at the end of the day, a chef knows how to follow a recipe they're good with their hands you know they, they multitask really well um, i'm talking re- restaurant quality chefs i'm, I'm referring to um you know they, they've under, they understand the importance of training they understand workplace health and safety you know it's all of those factors and they've had to deal with com- complaints so they deal with customer complaints and deal with people so i think those elements are very broad based and, and not unique to to one or the other i mean touch up guys as well from a spray painter's perspective we, we don't class ourselves as spray painters. We, we, we probably a better way to describe it is we're, we're a little bit part part spray painter, part panel beater from the fact that we, we do heat reshaping and uh, plastic welding on, on the bumpers. Uh, we, we do part car detailer, so we, we do uh, certainly you know try and make the car look as good as it can and we do buffing and polishing and paint protection and things like that. Uh, but overall, these guys, you know, they're reminded consistently that they are a business owner and therefore the customer service aspect needs to be uh, paramount. When, when a guy first comes here for, for 26 years, we, we sit them down on day one and we write three things on the board, on the whiteboard when they're in the training room. And that is service, quality and price in that order. And, and the theory is if you can get the great customer service started first, that will buy you enough time to get the quality to a stage where 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 that is where it needs to be, and, and if the quality is right, the the price will take care of itself. And and we have followed that philosophy for since we've started, since Dad started, and uh, and it has brought a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of guys have, have got a lot of success and, and made really financially good good decision in coming in and, and utilise that to to you know fulfill the, the, all the different reasons that they've chosen to, to come into the business in the first place. I think that, that is a, that, that's probably the other factor is trying to dig out from somebody, um, you know, their, their success is really probably going to be driven by the reason that they're choosing uh, a, a to go into business ownership and, and B to choose touch up guys as that, that vehicle. Um, I think when they're clear on that, you, you get away from this mentality of that they're just buying a job. And I think that's a, a, a different mentality as well. So, you know, if people have, you know, they want to get out of debt, they want a bit of financial freedom, they want, they don't want to, they, they want the flexibility for family reasons. Um, you know, they, they probably had a previous job that might have, you know, they, they might have been working away from home and they, they see their kids grow in inches rather than on a daily basis. Or, you know, they might have had a difficult, you know, um, family situation and, and this this style of thing really works i mean we, we had one guy who, who quoted himself at one point was our most successful franchisee and and he 
he'd sort of come out to it being in a situation where he was a single dad and he was able to drop his son off and pick him up from school every day and really only be able to work those school hours, but he was probably the happiest franchisee we had. It wasn't a financial success story for himself. Sorry, his success wasn't dictated by financial, if that makes yep. sense, so yeah. Yep. Um, just, just on, I mean, we, we speak to a lot of people uh, who are who, who want to be business owners, but they're a little bit sort of uh, technically challenged. Um, what happens with, I mean, how does uh, Touch Up Guys actually support and can you just elaborate a little bit on the on, on the training? Sure. So, um, primarily, you know, if people aren't afraid of, of using tools, and that, that's still not the dictator of it, but um, you know, our, our first port of call certainly would be to take somebody who's had some customer service experience in their in their previous history. You know, we, we've had great spray painters that that have been hit in the back of, of body shops, and, and they really have taken quite some time to develop the the extrovert skills, if I can call them that. And it's very difficult to, to and timely to change a person from an introvert to an extrovert. Um, but I would always probably take a, a person with great customer service experience or, or sales skills and, and then provide the technical aspect. So I think from from having, you know, um, done, done this for, for 25 odd years, our, our training course uh, technically wise is, is extremely sound. I mean, the, the three weeks that the, the people spend here, uh, it's pretty intensive. Yeah. You know, the first couple of, couple of days is really about mindset and business skills training and showing them all of the, the IT systems. And we don't really talk paint and plastic on those first two days. But the remainder of the three weeks is really, you know, all about paint and plastic and how they fundamentally work together and, and, and then obviously the, the hands-on side of that as well. So there's quite an amount of theory behind what we do as a, as a technical service and then obviously the practicality of, of doing that and performing that. So there's a variety of what techniques that we do have. Some, some of it certainly show and tell where, where the guys see you know, the, the speed and the technique of, of what the finished product would look like and where they, they need to envisage themselves getting to in several months time, you know, whatever that may be from, from that particular guy's uh, experience. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, there, there's a lot of hands-on aspects in that training as well. So um, I, I don't think, you know, there's nobody learns the entire system in three weeks, but what they learn is the core fundamentals. And then they also know what questions to be asked. I mean, it's very much, there is a bouncing ball mentality. Um, but on top of that, we, we do go back with the guys in in their own van in their own territory and do that return training and again it's it's partially to to again then then teach them how to use the van as a tool and how to work from that mm-hmm. as well as then starting to experience the customer service aspect and one of the things we do consistently on the return training is what we call a um, it's not quite technical but it's it's a um, uh, we do a, a shopping center display, so it's a casual lease. So we'll we'll discuss and select a, a shopping center that, that we would go and set up for for a day, uh, and then our return trainer and, and the and the franchisee would stand on the stand and go and be doing <clears throat> a lot of estimates in the car park all day uh, for clients, and and obviously, you know, hopefully making some bookings there for for the person to start doing some work, but. What we're trying to familiarise the person with is the ability for, to understand what customers refer to as the damage. You know, oftentimes you're on the phone on a phone call to a client, and they're saying, "Oh, I've just got a little 
little scratch down the side and then then you see a photograph or go and see the thing and they've a bloody Constantina's half the car you know and the door needs replacing or whatever so get, getting to understand how the customers you know understand their own vehicles is very important for our guys to understand so the, te- the technicals are something I feel we're, we're very very strong on um, certainly these days in working with uh, at Dulux Dulux group is our primary partner in, in the um, in the product supply side and, and their technical background and, and support of us as, as the franchisor uh, is absolutely amazing. I mean, those guys have been phenomenal for, for helping us over the last few years. Uh, and in turn, their systems are, are able to help us support our guys in, in helping to uh, resolve those issues. I think one of the things we're, we're, we're certainly uh, technology-wise that we're improving upon now is, is the use and, and the release of a spectrophotometer, uh, which it is is a very long word, but but a short version is it's a handheld camera system that you can put onto a, a, a paintwork of a motor car, and it will tell you um, basically it will tell you a formula for for making the the paint um, paint process uh, a lot easier. So one one of the biggest skill factors in trying to learn how to be a touch up guy, <clears throat> and not that the spectro phenomena forgives the ability to learn that. Um, but color matching is, is a skill set that we that there is no ability to read a book and understand in color matching. It's mm-hmm. sort of like reading a book about playing a guitar. You, you've got to do it and do it and do it and practice and, and practice to understand what makes a color move different shades and different directions. And then you've got metallics and pearls. So there, there's a lot of um, knowledge that can only be acquired through through practice over time. However, the, the spectrophotometer really provides our guys with the ability to walk up to any vehicle, take a scan of that vehicle without having to look at its make or its model or, or its year or find the color code hidden behind the seat or in the boot or whatever it might be to then understand that they can get a formula in, in, in two minutes or less. So for ourselves, sort of embracing some of these, these latest technologies um, in a mobile environment, that's probably the biggest difference for us because spectrophotometers have been around a long period of time, more, more focused on, on the body shop industry. Um, but for ourselves to really get out there and, and take this, this technology to the marketplace helps immensely, you know, and, and it also provides a, an improved quality of product. No, it is, um, you know, fascinating how quickly you know, market technology changes for these type of industries as well. I mean, what are your thoughts on where the industry is heading as well? I mean, from our end, we're seeing a lot of interest for you know home services, services done at home. People are time poor as well. I mean, you, are these all coming together at the point now where it's all going to be a benefit for touch-up guys now? I, I would have to agree 100%. I mean, fr- franchising is not going to slow down. I mean, there is more and more choices that, that people have out there, obviously. Uh, I think I think people need to be very particular about what they're choosing. I, I, I only say that in response to understanding fundamentally what makes our, our franchise works and and what 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 I term what the industry sometimes terms as a as a ULE the unit level economics of of a business and and the advantages and disadvantages of, of being mobile versus a fixed premises. You know, in in a fixed premises environment, you know you. You have elements, I think, of, of whether you, you're dealing with 
sort of three parties in the equation and that can be the franchisee and the franchisor and then the leaseholder for example if if it's in a in a shopping mall and things like that so there there's certainly elements there that that franchising can become quite complex in in terms of the industry as a totality i think we've got a fantastic uh, association being the franchise council of australia that really hones in and works with government in, in terms of how to shape and, and, and represent both franchisor and franchisee. I think they're fairly impartial in that regard because they, they are really the industry advocate as opposed to just favouring franchisors and, and, and therefore franchisees are left sort of with, with poorer conditions. But So I think, you know, ha- having travelled to the US as well and understanding the franchise system over there, I, I believe Australia's got one of the best franchising industries in our code of conduct. And I think that when the code of conduct came in as, as mandatory in 2001, I think that really lifted, um, you know, both via the disclosure requirements and, and also the the adherence to that code of conduct. So that's now, you know, 15, 16 years later, and it's gone through some evolutions there. And, and um, you know, d- does it always, is it always clearly defined? I think that that's where, you know, <laughs> Franchise lawyers are always going to have a uh, make a good living, no doubt. But um, I'm, I'm quite proud that we're 26 years and we haven't haven't been to litigation yet with any any single franchisee. So even though you know the black and white is stated and everybody signs that at the start, you know my, my father always said, let's throw that in the bottom drawer, and if we we ever have to pull it out, we we know it's gone well beyond you know talking points. So haven't had to pull it out yet, which has been it's been good. But um, so I, I think, in, in essence, coming back to your point there, um, so certainly I think there's both, you know, probably a, a mentality where, uh, you know, society is becoming a little bit more like, like villages, if you like, and there, there's a lot more mentality of work from home, you know, so even though, you know, there's large companies, there, there's a decentralization of a workforce, so we, we do have a lot more people, um, you know, who want services in their homes and, and brought to them rather than having to necessarily travel out because of the convenience and all those things. So uh, I, I definitely believe that, that home home services and, and automotive is not going to change. I think for ourselves, you know, 20-odd tw- years, again, I'll keep saying that, but the reality is we, we've been through many boom um, and booms and recessions. You know, the, the market is... Is always interesting at different times. I think our, ourselves, though, um, people people's emotions don't change necessarily. Uh, their habits change, but their emotions don't change necessarily in, in boom times or, or uh, recessionary periods. So we've, we've probably got five main emotions why somebody rings us. Um, you know, they're embarrassed because they just sort of backed into something and they don't want you know, somebody to see it or they feel like a fool, you know, they're angry, they've just come back from, you know, doing the, the shopping and they've got, um, you know, the Wipes, damage yeah. on the car and nobody left a note. There's a fear factor. So yeah. I borrowed dad's car and he's back on the weekend. Can you fix this in a hurry? Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a little bit of um, vanity, you know, it's not so much an emotion, but I'm really passionate about my car and I can see this. And I call those sort of a six inch person. They'll show you the damage from six inches away and, and, and they'll look at it from the same distance when they come back. The rest of us are probably six foot people, you know. But um, um, and then the the fifth one is is really somebody who, who's seeking value. You know, they they want to spend a little bit to, to probably more so in in terms of them selling their cars. So 
I think the the once we understand those emotions, um, the messages go out in, in different times. In, in boom periods, people, yeah, they, they they probably upgrade their car every couple of years. But in recessionary periods, they they want to sort of keep their cars for a few years longer. So, I think always though, there, there's those emotions at play. So that kind of keeps us our particular part of that industry as as a continuity factor anyway, which has has been good. Um, so I, I would yeah, say it's not going to slow down any time for us yeah. in, in the short term or even the medium term, yeah. Um, look, we, we love hearing about success stories. Um, is, is there any that you'd like to share just in, you know, over the last 20 years of, of people who have got into the franchise and it, it's changed their life or it, it, it's made them more independent? Or Well, I think, yeah, as I said before, I mean, there, there's... Um, there's a variety, and, and 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 everybody is is unique. You know, they they always sort of share a little bit about themselves. Well, share a lot about themselves, but but you have to kind of pull out sometimes the recognition of the reason that that you know that that light bulb moment as to what they they're trying to do by by taking a step into into business ownership and, and franchising. And um, <clears throat> certainly, I've I've had some amazing success stories you know we, we've had people who have um, pro- probably some really good examples is the the number of father and son teams that we've, we've had in the business you know you, you don't bring bring your children into your business and, and get them trained and get them into it, their own van uh, unless you've really had had a passion for it yourself and a belief that this thing will you know ha- has hit all my my goals and, and hopefully it will do for my children as well so uh, but we've probably had you know, half a dozen to ten uh, father and son teams. I think that that's been a real highlight for us as well, being being a family business ourselves. Um, I think there's been some some people who have come from very difficult pasts where you know they might have got into some situations with debt and things like that, and 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 maybe a you know a bankruptcy for example, and and they've utilised. Um, Obviously, that's very much in their past, but they hold that very heavy and very personal. You know, when, when people have go through situations like that, uh, one particular fellow, it, it wasn't his his doing, but sort of the fallout fell on him several years prior. Uh, he came into the business as an employee of, of a franchisee. That franchisee decided to to head out of the industry and and sort of left left um, you know this this guy in a position where. How, how would he sort of uh, create this situation for himself, given his his past financial uh, credit history? So uh, he did a deal with the exiting franchisee, and we fully supported that. And uh, and now today, he's probably one of our biggest earners, and he's got himself out of debt, and he and he repaid all his past debts from from a credit perspective, and, and he's he's one of our biggest earners. So and, and that guy couldn't could literally not really read or write when he first started with us. He'd come from a you know, a very difficult upbringing. So, you know, when, when you sort of hear stories like that where, where the human factor is, is you know, th- these people are really accomplishing uh, some amazing things, you know, and, and, and ha- having said that, they're doing it for themselves though, you know, they're just using our, our support network and our, and our physical support and, and encouragement to, to do that. But, you know, we're, we're not doing it for them, you know, th- that's, that's probably the biggest factor in franchising is the, the success stories is built on, Built on the relationship, but more so on on the 
the franchisees' effort, you know, and 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 the franchisor systems and and support. So, um, but yeah, there, there, there's a lot of success stories out there, and and sometimes you, sometimes when you work in the, you know, the the, the daily grind, if you like, you know, as as the saying goes, you know, it's it's always a wonderful feeling when you hear some of this success, you know, went through conversation or, or relayed or, or whatever it may be but um we, we got a lot of talented guys out there and, and they they certainly have uh successfully used that to to their advantage o- over the years so yeah yeah thanks glenn and, and in terms of your own recruitment how many franchisees are you are you trying to recruit now in the over the next year or so and Secondly, what what type of commitment are we looking at for a franchisee interested in in getting on board with touch up guys from a, a financial aspect, do you mean? Financial, yeah. Sure. Um, look, our, our, our goals um, really revolve around um, the understanding of capacity, you know, and our, our, our goals for, for the 2017-18 year are really built around uh, the growing number of, of relationships we have with, with corporate clients and, and affiliates like the Super Cheap Group. Um, so in understanding that, you know, we, we feel as a franchisor we're bringing um, a much, well, not much needed, but bringing an additional element, if you like, of, of contracted work workflow to, to the franchisees, which allows us to, to then um, not only attract more franchisees, but be able to sort of uh, provide them with a, a pseudo assurance that, that there is workflow going to be there and it's not going to all be on their their skills so by saying that 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 broadens our our ability to recruit people uh into the organization that may not be as strong on that sales side of it it's still got to be very good at customer service or are willing to learn that very quickly but um so for ourselves you know in the next 12 months i i, I my goal or our organizational goal is is to have at least another 12 franchisees on board um, and that both in relation to probably a, a key focus there in, in some of the capitals and in particular in Sydney where we, we do definitely need a lot more franchisees um, but also in, in regional Australia I mean we've got some phenomenal success stories in, in when you look at places like Tamworth for example you know Tamworth we've had we had a father and son team there for a long period of time and you know they 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 uh, you know, the epitome of a success story from a small business ownership point of view. Dad retired many years ago and, and the son uh, still runs the business to a very high high degree. So um, so I think that, you know, we, we've got opportunities in, in every state of Australia um, and, and at the same time, these national relationships that we're bringing to the equation as well is going to make it more attractive for somebody to come into, into it at the right time. Uh, coming back to the investment side, uh, it, it really depends, I guess, ultimately on, on the location of where, where they're seeking. So uh, we, we term uh, new, new territories or, or ones that we, we haven't got an operator in as, as a greenfield, um, which means that, <clears throat> pardon me, the investment level, um, which is sort of up around the $120,000 mark, is actually broken down into a variety of things. So when, when people sort of hear that level of investment, they kind of, sometimes rule themselves straight out but not understanding that um, you know that's broken down into you know including the van plant equipment so there's certainly a large proportion of that can be financed against itself and it it provides its own collateral so that's not put on the 
the, the applicant uh, or potential franchisee to, to cover that particular part. Uh, there's also an element of working capital there, you know, so there, there, there's monies there that people are going to need. But uh, And we've also got, you know, a model there at the moment, um, which is newly launched, which is a franchisee financing program, uh, which again, for the right applicant, means that if they're not in the ability to necessarily borrow the funds from through traditional means, whether that be a, against their home or, or, or from, from savings, that there may be a path there where the franchise or ourselves um, sort of puts us in, in contact with a, a closely associated company that looks to, to help finance new franchisees into, into the organisation as well. So I think that, you know, certainly there's elements there of, of uh, it being classed as a, around the $100,000 business buyer market but it's not to be mistaken for the, the cost, uh, the investment level as being what, what it's going to require for somebody to get into the business, which obviously could be substantially lower. Um, I think the other element is is obviously when you have uh, an existing franchisee who, who's looking to on-sell their business, that they might have you know, hit, hit, hit the seven-year itch or they might be, you know, for whatever reason, wanting to step out of the business. Um, again, they, they may vary in, in those sort of pricings because of whether, whether it be that they've got quite an amount of goodwill there. Uh, they might have uh, quite, quite substantial um, you know, profit and loss and, and, and um, cash flows that they can produce over the last few years. They might have a great database that they can on, on sell to, sorry, pass on to the, the next uh, operator. You know, so there's all, all different factors, I guess, that, that go into what, what would be the pricing range for an existing uh, franchisee seeking to sell their business as well. Well, look, um, Glenn, it, it, uh, Touch Up Guide sounds like a fantastic opportunity for anyone looking to, to, to be a business owner. Well, what are the next steps in reaching out to you or, or your team for anyone that's interested? Sure. Well, in essence, I think it's a matter of um, just just giving us a call at the end of the day. Um, I think there's there's certain elements of, of wanting to have a conversation with a person first and foremost, uh, letting them know who we are. Uh, my father, Fred, actually uh, chooses uh, to make some of the phone calls at times as well, so he loves to still be involved with who who we're, we're going to partner with for the next five years or more. Um, we, we do have a, a particular franchising website, so we do have touchupguys.com.au, which is our our public-facing service site, <clears throat> pardon me, but we also have touchupguysfranchise.com.au, which is our, our franchising site, uh, which is going to have some of the information on there about, uh, and we're only just upgrading that site um, at the moment as well. So, uh, so the contact information will be on, on the, the touchupguysfranchise.com.au site for, for the guys to, to give us a call if they're interested. Um, it's certainly something that, yeah, we, we, we would love to have at least a conversation. I think the, the printed word and even our, our interview today, you know, it, it, it's, it's all a part of the process of, of gaining people's interest and, and for them to explore whether they feel this is some opportunity worth exploring. But I, I can definitely guarantee, you know, people when they do start to speak with us, there, there is no hard sell here. You know, we, we're, we're not in a rush to get into a relationship that's not going to serve each other's needs. Um, you know, if you're going to go into a like a pseudo marriage for the next, 
oh, you hope forever, but at least the next five to, to 10 years, then, then you want to make sure we, we know each other very well before that. Uh, I think the reality of, of the franchising industry and, and the requirements of the agreements, there, there's, there's definitely a set process there. Um, and, and, and the reality is it's probably, you know, uh, at least it, if it was done in a rush and we won't be the ones rushing it, that's for sure. Um, but you're still looking at a two to three month process before somebody would, would really end up in, in training here from the very first phone call. So, um, you know, if, if people want to take that step and inquire, they'll, they will be at least pleasantly surprised. And if, if they do be successful in, in, in being granted a, a franchise and, and, and we do make that commitment to each other, then, then they won't go into it without knowing everything there is to need to know about the business and its history and who the people are and what, what their expectations are. So, All right, fantastic. Look, thanks a lot, Glenn. I think you gave a really comprehensive summary of the opportunity and industry there. Like Glenn mentioned, anyone interested, head to touchupguys.com.au or get in touch with the team there to find out a bit more. Apart from that, uh, thanks a lot for joining us today, Glenn. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. No, no trouble at all. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Eden Exchanges was brought to you by the team at Eden Exchange. In this episode, we spoke to Glenn Hawkins from Touch Up Guys. For more information on this and other episodes, head to EdenExchange.com or BusinessBuyInvest.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram for regular updates on the business, franchising, and investment world. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or in Stitcher if you're using Android. Thanks for listening and see you next time.